0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 9. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: When Jairus comes to Jesus, his daughter had not yet died. So he comes to Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was a ruler of the synagogue, or Arquesumo Gagos, the Greek word, for the ruler of the synagogue. Understand something, it was very difficult for Jairus to come to Jesus. You see, as the ruler of the synagogue, the synagogue was a place where people gathered. The synagogue was a place where people studied. And in each synagogue, there were 10 men. And out of those 10 men, there was assigned one man to be the ruler. And Jairus was that ruler. He was a man who was strict in following the Jewish laws. Now, you know, the spiritual leaders of that day were rejected Jesus and they didn't like Jesus and so they would; it would be jeopardizing his position as the ruler of the synagogue to even come to Jesus. Jairus was a powerful and prominent and prosperous, influential man who had to put aside his prejudice and pride and dignity to come to Jesus. And he was willing to do that because his precious little daughter was sick at home and dying. Did you get that? Did you get that? Jarius was willing to humble himself because he had a need. There is nothing wrong with humbling yourself and coming to Jesus because you have a need. Listen and listen close. How many of us have heard people say, I don't want to become a Christian because, you know, just because my life is bad and my life is messed up. And, you know, I don't want to come to come to Jesus right now because everything's bad in my life. And it will seem like I'm just becoming a Christian because everything's bad. I've heard it a hundred times. I've been in various prison ministries where I talk to people who are inmates and guys who are inmates. And, and you know, and they call it jailhouse religion. Because everything's bad in their life and they give their life to Christ. As if something is wrong with that. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I think it's Satan himself who tells people there's something wrong with you giving your life to Christ when there's a problem in your life. This is why he came to die. He came to die for folks like us who have lots wrong in their lives, who have real problems, and he says, come to me. The spirit and the bride say, come to me, and he will take that nothing life of yours and make something out of it. We need to come to Jesus when everything is bad. Well, Jesus is just a crutch. Yeah. And your point is, the reality is everybody has a crutch. Some people's crutch is sex, and some people's crutch is drugs, and some people's crutch is whatever it might be. But everyone is going to lean on something or somebody. Is there anything wrong with leaning on Jesus? Amen, saints? Lean on him. Jairus did that. He was broken. And he needed Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus. Sometimes God will allow suffering in your life just so you will come to him. You think, man, my life is a mess. Everything is bad. All my situations are out of control. I can't seem to get it together. You know, could that be the Lord saying, I've orchestrated things that way because you need to give your life to me. And I'm not going to let you have any peace until you give your life to the Prince of Peace. And so suffering and trial and adversity and tribulation could be God saying to you, I want you to come to me. I want you to bring your needs to me. Well, this is what Jarius did. He heard about this itinerant preacher, Jesus, who was doing miracles and healing people and giving sight to the blind. And so Jarius comes to Jesus, desperate, heartbreaking. And he asked Jesus to come to his house, and Jesus went. And while he was walking, a woman who had a flow or an issue of blood for 12 years comes behind him. And so the story now moves from Jesus and Jairus to Jesus and the woman in verse 25 through 24. Now this woman with this issue of blood for 12 years, let's take a little bit deeper here. According to Leviticus chapter 15, according to Jewish law, if a woman, listen, were to bleed, past her normal month, past her normal time, she was deemed diseased and unclean. She wasn't able to go to church or synagogue. Wherever she sat had to be ceremonially cleansed. If you went over to her house and you hugged her, you sat on her furniture and sat on her couch... You had to be ceremonially cleansed. This woman was an outcast in society. And for 12 years, this woman, no one hugged this woman. No one kissed this woman. No one shook this woman's hand or patted her on the back. No one ever took her out to a nice dinner. She was pushed away. She probably wanted to run up to a little girl outside who was playing and maybe some kids and just hug them and talk to them like we all do. And she couldn't do that. And I'm no doctor, but I'm sure with the loss of blood for 12 years, this woman was dizzy, and she was faint, and lightheaded all the time. And so and then the trauma of knowing that you're sick, having all kinds of symptoms, and you go to the doctor, and Dr. Quack tells you, you know, hey, take this, and try this, and try that, and give this a try, and give that a try, and nothing is working. That's frustrating. Now, that happened to me. I had a very bad back problem. And I went to all the doctors and I went to Duke and and I saw all the best doctors and some of you guys know all these famous good back doctors and I went to them all, you know. And and they said, well try this and try that and do this and do that and buy this piece of equipment and buy that piece and swim and do this. and And I did it all and my back never got better. And I was frustrated and they were giving me pills and they were giving me bills. And I'm like, Dr. Quack, please stop. The insanity. And this woman, I'm sure she felt that way. So what we have here, understand here, what we have is this woman who has this physical, emotional, financial strain for 12 years, and now she's bankrupt. She's tried all the doctors and nothing works. This woman is sick and she's sad, she's hurting, she's lonely, she's rejected with no hope. And so she heard about Jesus, just like the Jarius did. She heard about Jesus. And she heard that he was eating with sinners. And she probably thought, hey, I can go to him. I, 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 If I could just get to him. And she's thinking, this is my chance. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of Jesus, she also touched the heart of Jesus. And at that moment, something happened in her. And the Bible says she was healed. But not only did something happen in her, but something also happened in Jesus. Because the Bible says that virtue or power went out of him. And Jesus stopped and he turned around and he said, who touched me? And the woman was fearful and she came and she told Jesus the whole story. And he said, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Jesus called this woman out publicly. I wonder why why would he call her out publicly? I mean, there's hundreds, even thousands of people. Why would he call her out publicly? Well, I think mainly for three reasons. Number one, I think Jesus called this woman out publicly because he wanted her to be a bold witness for him. That is so important. Oh, you remember, as I said, there are hundreds of people there. The woman's hiding, she's trembling, she's fearful. And Jesus says, who touched me? Calling her out to be a bold witness for him. You know, let me tell you something. If God has forgiven you, if God has cleansed you, if God has healed you, if God has changed your life, then you need to tell somebody. You know, there is a power in confession. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. There is a power in confession. Because when you confess It's something about saying something out of your mouth When you hear what you say It kind of registers in your mind and in your spirit Not only that but when you say something Or you confess with your mouth Then it makes you accountable to live and to do What it is you said you were going to live and do Oh I remember that time in my life Where I didn't want to tell anybody I was a Christian Because now I got to act like one It's like So you don't tell anybody you know, so many Christians are secret service Christians. Isn't it true? How many times have you been on a job or at school and you've been there like a year or two and then you find out this person's a Christian? And you go, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, I didn't know. And they go, what? Well, I didn't know you either. Why? Because you're living a secret life as a Christian. It is something when you tell somebody you're a Christian, now they expect you to act like one. It actually holds you accountable. So confessing with your mouth is important. Not only that, but in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, and listen to this sobering comment. If you confess me before men, I will also confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let me encourage you. If you've recently become a Christian, tell somebody. Tell anybody. Just, just walk up to somebody at the mall and say, hey, I'm a Christian. And they'll go, oh, no, another Jesus freak. Okay, let's go this way, Martha. But tell somebody. Tell somebody. It's very important, not only to be a bold witness, but Jesus called this woman out publicly, I think, as a rebuke to the crowd. You see, there was a crowd there. The people pressed, and the people were bumping into each other, and Jesus said, who touched me? Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, and only one touched Jesus. That's fascinating to me. One came to him in faith. Oh, how many people, hundreds of people that come to this church every week, every Sunday, and yet how many of us really touch Jesus? Hundreds come, but how many really touch him? Or do you come thinking, you know, Rodney, you know, I hope this is a quick sermon because, you know, we're going to go out after church, we're going to go to dinner, or I've got things planned, so make it quick. Fat chance. But make it quick, Rodney. Or they come in with rushing and come in with not a real heart to touch Jesus, just a heart to get it over with. Oh, How many people come to church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and they really never really touch Jesus? You know, when I come to church, I come to church to touch the Lord. I don't come to church. How many people come in and they, you know, they don't get anything out to worship? They go, man, the worship team, they wasn't hitting on nothing today. I mean, you know, man, what, what is wrong with them? Oh, man, the worship was terrible, you know. And, And oftentimes, let me tell you something. It's not the worship. It's you. You're the problem. It's not the worship. Cause you know, I'll tell you something. I don't need the worship team to be hitting all the right chords and do all the right stuff. And it just sound, I don't need all that to worship the Lord. They could hit every wrong note and that would be fine with me. Well, let me take that back now. (laughs) Let's not go too far there, Johnny. We We don't go too far. Put it this way: I don't need the worship to be everything, and I don't need. The word to be, I don't need good, exciting, I don't need any of that. All I need is to get myself in the presence of the Lord, and I want to touch Jesus. I don't care if the worship isn't doing good. I don't care if the preacher isn't doing good, although he most of the time does. But I don't care if none of that happens. I just want to touch Jesus. And I don't need the manipulation to do it. I don't need anything. I just need a heart to say, Lord, there are hundreds of people here, but Rodney wants to touch you. That's all. And you know, it's an interesting thing. When you say, I'm going to get in front of Jesus, I'm going to get in the presence of God. You know what happens? When you reach out to him, he reaches out to you. When you fail to reach out to him, he will not reach out to you. Isn't that how that works? You know, reach out and touch. AT&T think they came up with that, or Ma Bell, or whoever came up with that. They didn't come up with that. The Bible did. Because if you reach out and touch him, I just want to touch the hem of your garment, Lord. Then he'll say, who touched me? He'll recognize you. Well, not only that, but thirdly, I believe Jesus called this woman out publicly, not for the woman's sake, but get this, but for Jerry's sake. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, for Jarius, understand, this looked like a disastrous delay. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house because his daughter is dying. And Jarius is probably standing there, arms folded, you know, tapping his foot. And Jesus is talking to this woman, and he's getting impatient. And this woman even isn't even supposed to be talking to people. She's not supposed to be around people. And she stops Jesus, and then the woman wants to tell him the whole story. Have you ever met people like that? You're in a rush and they want to tell you the whole story, and it's like yada 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 yada. Okay, okay, yeah 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 yeah. Wait, come on, Jesus. Hello, my daughter is dying, and you're talking to a woman about touching your clothes. Come on, you see this. Situation was not necessarily for the woman. It was more for Jarius because the delay for, for, for Jarius was supposed to teach him a lesson. It was supposed to teach him a lesson as we saw the woman healed. As Jairus sees the woman healed, he should know for what is going to happen next when this guy comes up and says, hey, your daughter is dead. Jairus should automatically, it should click. Well, wait a minute. If Jesus healed this woman and all she did was touch the hem of his garment, he's on his way to my house. I don't care when he gets there. He's able to heal my daughter. See, that's what was supposed to happen, but that's not really what happened. And this story was to teach Jairus a lesson. Teach him what? That Jesus is never late. And Jesus cannot fail. And I'll tell you something. If Jesus ever fails, then you will be the first person he's ever failed, ever. Because he's never late. He never says, sorry, I got caught in traffic. I'm late. He never says, oops, I overslept. He never, the Bible says he never sleeps or slumbers. He's always on time. He's never late and he's never early. He's always on time. God is never delaying for no reason. Interesting. Thirdly, Jesus and the damsel. We just read it in verse 35 through 43. Did you notice in verse 35, look at it again, look at it again. In verse 35, Notice it says, and I like to call this a split-second drama here. Notice it says that Jesus is ministering to this woman, and a man comes to Jesus or comes to Jairus and says, your daughter is dead, don't even bother. Now, I find that interesting because, you know, this is kind of like abrupt. I mean, you know, he just walks up to Jairus and says, hey man, your daughter's dead, so forget about it. It's like, couldn't you like soften it a little bit? You know what I mean? You could have like... Well, Jerry, I got some bad news for you, man. I mean, I hate to tell you this, this is a terrible, but your daughter died. No, he just walks up and goes, hey man, your daughter's dead, forget about it. So he just says, your daughter's dead, forget it. And notice it goes on to say that Jesus then, he goes on, notice it says, your daughter is dead, and in verse 36, and as soon as Jesus heard the word, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid Only believe. You see, Jairus is probably thinking, Lord, if you hadn't stopped and talked to this woman, my daughter would still be alive. All hope seemed to be gone, but man's extremity is God's opportunity. And now God can get more glory because the daughter is dead. And now he has an opportunity to get more glory to even raise the dead. And so they get to Jairus's house. Did you notice it further in the text? They get to Jairus's house and they find people weeping and wailing. Now, in those days, understand they had professional weepers and wailers. There were people who made a living. You could look up in the phone book under weepers and wailers. And you could find them, call them, make an appointment, and they would come out to your house. And for any event that you chose, they would weep and wail. That's like a pretty good job. They just come and wah, wah. They just weep and wail for the whole time. True story. True situation. And so these weepers and wailers, they're weeping and wailing. And Jesus said, that's enough. Why are you weeping and wailing? She's not dead. She's not dead. What? Why? Because Christians don't die. Did you know that? Christians go to sleep. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Christians do not die. Christians go to sleep and the Bible teaches that someday there's going to be a great getting up morning for all of us believers. First Thessalonians chapter four says it like this for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's rapture. In the air to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with him. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Someday we're all going to get up, and we're all going to be resurrected someday. Christians don't die. We simply go to sleep. You have a family member who died? Yeah, they're not dead. If they were a Christian, they went to sleep. And someday God is going to wake them up. And then they began to mock Jesus when he said that. And then he took Peter, James and John and his mother and his father and they went in. He put the people out and he took them and they went in. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha Kumai, which means "Danzel, I say arise. And immediately she got up and she walked and Jesus said, now give her something to eat. Can you imagine the joy that her mom and her dad felt? That's awesome. This is probably one time the mom said, "I'll be glad to cook her some need." You know, you know, like in my house, the kids say, "Mommy, daddy, I'm hungry." And I, your point is, uh, go make it yourself, kid. You know, no, not this time. The mom was probably like, "Glad, honey, you want some PB and J? You want some? I'll make you some burritos." or something, anything, sweetie, because they were happy, because Jesus did a miracle. He raised her from the dead. Three times in the Bible, Jesus has risen or raised people from the dead. Three times, right here in our text is one. Luke chapter 7 is the other. You might know that story. We have the widow's son from Nain, and there was a funeral procession going on, and they were going to bury this boy, and Jesus interrupted the funeral, and he raised him from the dead. You know, I, I read this, this, this quote. It, said, it talked about one preacher who said he was a new preacher, and he was a new pastor. And he said he went to the Bible to learn how to conduct a funeral, but he couldn't find any because every funeral that Jesus went to, he disrupted it by raising the dead. Isn't that true? Think about it. No one ever stays dead in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Isn't that true? You can't learn how to do a funeral from Jesus because he keeps raising the dead. I like that. And then the last time that Jesus rose someone from the dead, you might remember when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's one of my favorites. Lazarus, come forth. And and some scholars, some Bible scholars said that he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just stood there and said, come forth, every dead body in the grave would have came forth. And so it's almost like he said, Lazarus, just you come forth. And Lazarus came. And then he said, take off those grave clothes. And he took off the grave clothes. Great story. Man, someday Jesus is going to raise you also from the dead. And maybe he already has spiritually. Praise the Lord. He raised me from the dead. And you who were once dead in your trespasses and sins in Ephesians chapter 2, he has now made alive and has raised us up to sit together with him. He raises people from the dead spiritually and someday he's going to raise us from the dead physically and we're going to see him face to face. Don't forget that. The Bible says it's this hope that purifies you. First John chapter 3. It's this hope that purifies you that someday we're going to be with the Lord don't forget that we're going to see him face to face the prince of preachers Charles Haddon Spurgeon he said this talking about seeing Jesus face to face he said this will be the greatest glory of heaven to know God to know Jesus more intimately and wonderfully than we've ever could on earth it is the chief blessing of heaven the cream of heaven the heaven of heavens that the saints shall see their Jesus That's the blessing. That's the hope we have. Don't forget that. Because that hope purifies you. Every time you're tempted to sin, and every time you're tempted to do something that you shouldn't be doing, think about that. Hey, if the Lord came back right now, would I want to be found in this situation? It's the hope that purifies the believer.